Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Raphael Bender, CEO of Breathe Education. They provide the best online Pilates instructor training and certification courses with more than 5,000 certified Pilates instructors from around the world. They have an active community of over 10,000 Pilates lovers. I've asked Raphael to join us here today to talk about growing an online business and serving a community you love. So thank you so much for joining us, Raphael. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome, Daryl. Glad to be here with you. Yeah. And, and you know, just like, uh, uh, I don't know what this is, to be to be transparent, we're actually having a great conversation before I hit record and he was dropping some bombs. I was like, I should have hit record when you said that. So we're hopping into it. But before we get into the business and the marketing stuff, I always like to know, where did you come from? Like, how did you get into business? Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Uh, my grandparents came here as uh, penniless Polish immigrants, um, uh, Polish Jews. Uh, they, My great-grandfather immigrated in 1938 from Poland. Uh, they arrived, you know, literally penniless. Um, you know, worked, didn't speak a word of the, of the language, worked, um, you know, laboring jobs, saved up enough money, started their own, um, clothes shop, knitting factory, uh, became quite, quite well off. I wouldn't say like extremely wealthy, but like they own a couple of apartment blocks. Right. Uh, my pa my parents on the other hand are ex like the polar opposite, <laughs> utterly non-entrepreneurial. Um, I didn't learn any, any financial management or entrepreneurial skills from either of my parents. And, uh, when I was in my twenties and early thirties, I was a musician, um, and, uh, didn't have any role models for financial management or entrepreneurship. You know, I was all about the art and, uh, just, you know, sort of basically woke up in my late twenties or early thirties and thought, holy crap, I'm getting older. I'm still playing in two bit sleazy dives. I'm still living in crappy rented apartments. Mm. You know, this, this is going nowhere fast. And, and I remember one very particular occasion I was standing with my, my wife, uh, we were living in Sydney in this cockroach infested one room apartment in Glebe. And we just were standing there and we were like, this sucks. Like, and, and so we basically, I said to her, look, I'm going to learn how to make money. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to make money. I didn't know how to keep money, didn't know anything about business. And so I just said, I'm going to learn how to make money. And it's probably taken me more, you know, more than a decade and right. I'm still far from perfect, but I feel like, yeah, that I've, I'm, I'm well on that path now. So that was probably the, 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 the primordial moment for me. So, so a 10 year overnight success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that the art, the music, it sounds like you were really into it all like professionally, you were, you were trying to make it, it sounds like in, in your livelihood in music, do you feel, this is completely like a question out of left field, but do you feel that somehow that's helped you in your business career now in terms of just the creativity of songwriting and that like, does that apply in business? Is that, been an advantage yeah, totally. for you through, so, yeah. I, I mean, I think I spent my twenties. I I I was a musician. You know, I also worked on cars a lot. You know, because surprise, surprise, music doesn't pay very well. Um, so I did a lot of backyard mechanics. I worked in wrecking yards. I worked at, at motor mechanics, and and I learned from each. And I I did bouncing, um, like uh, nightclub security yep, for a yep. few years as well. Um, and I learned, you know, really useful things in, in each of those. I did hospitality for a few years as well. Like worked in as a server in restaurants and bars and things. 
And yes, I think from the music, I learned creativity for sure. And I think creativity in general is a skill. Like I think you can take the creativity that you, that you use when creating music and apply that to creating like business offers or compensation packages or advertising or a web page or whatever. Um, and likewise with the mechanics, it's like when you're fixing a car, it's like, it's either got no spark, no air or no petrol right? Those are the only possible reasons why it's not going to start. So, and that's sort of a very just logical process of elimination of problem solving of finding like, what is the constraint to this? Well, that's the exact same process you use when you're trying to fix a broken funnel, you know, or, or an ad that's not working or whatever. It's like, well, is, you know, are we getting clicks? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like it, we've it, had, we've had five we... clicks to the page. The offer doesn't work. <laughs> right. So, so it's like, okay, is it the ad? Is it the landing page? Is it the opt-in? Is it the VSL? Is it, you know, like you can just go through the process, right? So if all of those things are working, you're making sales. Right. And if, if you're not making sales, it's one or more of those things that aren't, that aren't working. And yeah. so same. And with the, with the, I mean, I, I, I think with the, with the nightclub bouncing, probably the skill that I got there or the thing that I learned was uh, to not shrink from confrontation. Mm. And certainly not, you know, like I, I, I certainly try and avoid violent confrontation at all costs. Uh, but I think, uh, in business being afraid of uncomfortable conversations is probably the biggest thing that I, I think prevents most people from, from yeah. progressing their business. And why do you say that? Oh, I mean. You have, you, you have to be, you have to be in all aspects of your business life. You have to be able to face harsh realities and have realistic discussions about, you know, the situation, whether that is, okay, this marketing campaign's not working. We need to, to stop these ads or whether it's uh, an employee, their performance is not up to scratch or whether it's a business partner, that's not a good fit anymore, whether it's a client that's a pain up the backside and you need to stop bending over backwards to accommodate them at the expense of, you know, other better opportunities. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure anybody who's employed people has had the experience of like finally firing someone and thinking, holy crap, I should have fired that person three so years much, ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hire <laughs> slow, fire fast. That's a really, really, there's a lot of truth to that. So already we're like three minutes in and you've talked about how systems thinking, creativity, um, living based in reality, how these are strong, like strength of a business owner, as well as I wrote down face confrontation head on, but avoid violence. I think that's really important because that's a lot of people, you know, you want to avoid that ugly the ugly, I think Brian Tracy had a book called eat the frog, you know, or it was like yeah. when you wake up in the morning, you just eat the frog, the, the thing that you right. don't want to do, you just need to eat it and move on with your life because avoiding it, it's just, it's almost, forgive me for the analogy, but it's almost like Hitler. They were like, we, he's not a problem. We can ignore him. We can ignore him. He's not a problem. We're just going to focus over here. And all of a sudden it became a global problem, you know? And so um, I think in the same way, like that might be kind of what business owners do. They, they ignore things until it's like, Hey, can't make payroll this week. Hey, you can't, you know, something else is wrong. Hey, customers are asked for refunds. So um, now yep. was it just smooth sailing for you? Like you just were like, I'm gonna learn how to make money. And then it was just like a switch light bulb went off and you was just like, red nah. and pockets started filling or what? What were some of the challenges? I think um, anybody listening to this, if you're not already worth a hundred million net worth, you know, you know, you know, the truth, the true answer to that question, which is like, of course it wasn't. Right, <laughs> right, sailing. right. 
Um, and it's still not. I think my experience so far, we're at about know, six six million US on track this year, revenue wise. Um, is all you do is you exchange your problems for better quality problems. <laughs> yes, I, I like that. We call them champagne problems, but I've never heard. I've never had it articulated that well. You, yeah, that's a great one for sure. Yeah, you exchange poor problem, like ugly problems for better quality problems. That's that's a really well put. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Uh, I think the the ones that have been most stressful have been the times when it was like, oh crap, we can't make payroll. Mm. <laughs> you know? and, and I think we've all had those moments and I've probably had half a dozen or 10 of those, you know, I've over the decade and a half that I've been in business where it's like, you know, like you, you have a, we have pretty good tracking these days. We know what our funnels are doing and all of that kind of stuff. And so we can go, oh, this funnel's not converting quite as well as it was last month. Let's keep an eye on that. And then if it's still not converting a week later, you do something about it and you start troubleshooting and then it starts going, getting worse and you start getting really worried. And it's like, so often you can sort of um, head these things off and nip them in the bud before they become a problem. But sometimes you can't, and sometimes it takes you ages to find the problem or the problem's more systemic or more external to the business or the market's changing or, you know, whatever it might be, competitors come into the landscape. Uh, or, you know, back in the day when I first um, owned a, a Pilates studio back in the 2010s, I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I didn't even know what I didn't even know. And I was just winging it. It was the wild west. You know, I was just like, okay, we'll get, we'll make it, we'll charge some people some money and we'll do some Pilates classes and we'll hire some people to do that. It's like, we didn't do any math, no modeling, no, <laughs> you know, no, nothing like that. And it's like one day it's like, oh crap, there's no money in the bank. Oh shit. What are we going to do? So yeah. yeah, there, there've been, there've been, and then there've been other situations more recently. Like we've, we've had to do two rounds of layoffs in the last two years mm. and they're never pleasant, you know? Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, being human, I always put those things off until the last minute, like until it hurts bad enough that I'm like, okay, I've got to do this now. It's like lay people off or close the business right. uh, that, you know, and I, whenever I do it, I always think I should have done this three months ago, but, right. you know, um, but yeah, th those have been the, those have been the hardest times I think. Uh, but, you know, in retrospect, you know, for every one of those times and, and people I've let go, I've been sorry to see, see leave. Um, but it always has been better after, mm. you know, like we did a round of layoffs in December, 2022, I think it was December 20, maybe it was December 21. Anyway, it was December of one of the recent years. And it's amazing. Like when you've got a business that's doing 300, we we're doing like 350,000 US a month at the time and our expenses were like 400,000 <laughs> know. and that's a terrible business that's a very stressful business to own you know yeah. because you, that that the payroll is relentless and right and yet you feel like you're touching a lot of money like we're touching right. all this I, I i can touch it but it's not it's like yeah it's right it's an oasis it's not real but as soon, but as, soon as you right. shed $150,000 in monthly expense. That's an awesome business. Yes. 
you know, so the, the, I guess the, the big lesson that I've learned or, you know, one of the many lessons, but probably the biggest lesson I've learned from those multiple sort of rounds of layoffs or, you know, really tough situations that we've had to be in over the years is that, you know, often you're only like one hard decision away from a, from transforming your business, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, letting go of 10 people is hard. You know, you got to tell those people, yeah, you don't have a job. Um, and you got to tell the people who are left over, Hey, look, I know you're all worried about your jobs, but you guys are safe. Probably. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, but you can transform, you know, like a $350,000 business that spends 400,000 is going bankrupt, but that same business, if you cut $150,000 out of the, out of the expenses is a profit factory. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, like a month later, Playing, you know, the bank balance is filling up and everything's, everything's great. So yeah. I think often in those great moments of like almost crisis is where you're really forced to confront the hard things that you should have done, you know, a while yeah. ago. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely agree. I, I love that. I think that's a really good say, point to say about it, you know, and, and even from a philosophical standpoint, you know, a dog is only ever going to be a dog. It's only ever going to do the handful of things a dog can do. But as a human, with one decision, you can just decide, I'm going to be a ballerina. I'm going to, you know, I want to learn to walk on, like, I, I decided one day I wanted to learn to handstand walk, and now I can handstand walk 25 feet. Like, there's all these things that it's just, you're as a human, you're one decision away from becoming a totally different animal, and your business is the same way. So I, I really like that. I really like that, that uh, perspective point of view. Would you have any general advice for people that might be starting out or they're kind of up and running, but struggling. Yeah. I mentor, we mentor Pilates instructors who are starting a solo business. We have one of our programs is we help people launch and scale their solo Pilates business up to hundred K. So I'd say probably the number one thing I would say to people, if you're just starting out is just freaking start, right? People just get paralyzed by, like reading books or doing courses or thinking about what they want to do, or they want to do 20, 20 things. And they so don't know which one to start with. So just pick something and do it. Like the best way to learn this stuff, I think is by doing it. Yeah. And you, you're much better to jump in and get it wrong and then correct rather than yep. read a dozen books and have all the theory, but not actually have put a foot on the road yet. Yeah. 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 I call it movement versus meditation. I always say the one thing in my emails, the one thing a monk would never tell you, and it's that movement is better than meditation. Like you can meditate on playing tennis all day, every day, you can read all the books, but until you get out there and start moving, right? Because there's just a weird disconnect. Like we vision, I'm in my mind, I'm going to do this. But then the reality is our central nervous system and our brain just don't communicate as well as we thought they did, you know? Like, right. that, that's what I saw myself doing in my head, but it's not what I ended up doing. So I think that's great. That's a great tip. This is a really good tip. So now can I ask a little bit about what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see? I mean, there's, so you've got people, you said you helped them launch and scale their Pilates business to a hundred thousand. So they're, 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 they're trying to do it. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see them making or even other entrepreneurs? Uh, well, I'd say the first one is they, they sell the features, not the benefits. So that if in Pilates, they try and sell Pilates. Right. Instead of selling, like, get rid of your back pain, for example. So instead mm -hmm. of, instead of selling a solution to a problem, they sell the, the delivery mechanism. So instead of, instead of they're selling the drill bit, not the hole in the wall, 
Mm. Like, you know, so I think, uh, you know, that's a big thing. People are selling, they, you know, they, they, they have this skill, whether it's Pilates or whether it's personal training or whether it's yoga or whether it's, you know, kebabs or whatever, like selling the, the product instead of the result that the product delivers. I think that's a classic mistake. Uh, I think that's great. Can we, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I think, like you said, that is a really important pain point. And this is something where I've heard people say in the past, like, oh, but I don't like marketing. I don't like, like bragging. I don't like marketing myself. I feel self-conscious. And I feel what you just said is another way to articulate what, yeah, right. So uh, yeah, I moved my fan, but can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, I agree with you, Daryl, that uh, I think when people say they don't like marketing, to me, that suggests either that they just don't like, like, pushing things on people that aren't a good fit or they don't like, you know, talking about themselves. And I think if you're doing either of those things, you're not doing marketing right. Right. That I think, so it's in my definition, marketing is just finding somebody who has a painful problem that you can solve and that who has money and time and the will to, to pay you for that solution. And then just tell them about your solution. It's like, hey, have you got this problem? <laughs> I can fix that, <laughs> right? That's that's yeah. all marketing is, in my view. Is like, but it, you know, obviously, it's a very simple description, but it doesn't mean it's easy because I think that the trick is finding somebody who does have that painful and urgent problem. And I think there's, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the difference between selling vitamins versus medicine. You know, I think a lot of people are selling vitamins, like things that sort of make you better, right? Like you know, like if you're basically healthy, but you just want to be like 1% healthier versus medicine. If you're in, if you've got a terrible toothache and someone's selling ibuprofen, it's like, well, that stuff, you know, that's a must have. And so I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of people start out selling things that are like optional for people rather than selling something that's like, if you're, if you're selling something that, you know, people are desperate for that yeah. solution, you know, it, you don't have to be good at marketing. You just right. tell people about the the solution. Yeah. If someone's got a bleeding neck, you don't need to go through a big pitch for your type of Band-Aid. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, well, so my Band-Aid comes, it's four layered. Can you just shut up and put it on? Right? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. A stub toe versus a bleeding neck. Vitamins versus yeah. medicine. That's a really good way. Really good way to put it. Um, and and I I'm sorry. I'm sorry to no, just no. jump in there, but I, I think like in the field that I'm in, like, I think that it also sort of plays out that people who've been in the field for a while, so Pilates instructors in this case, they love Pilates because of all of these reasons. Oh, it makes me feel at one with my body. I feel mentally clear. I love my me time. It makes me t- stand taller, all these things, but that's not why people get into it in the first place. Right. And I think that the the concept that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, need to grasp in order to really hit that first level of success and make like, you know, their first six figure or even seven figure, you know, year is like sell people what they want, you know, sell people what they want. If people, you know, like rather than saying, here's the benefits of what I do, you know, here's my product, here's the seven benefits. It's like, what is the one bleeding neck problem that these people have don't mention any of the other benefits. And I think for in Pilates, the case of Pilates, people come in, you know, a lot for back pain. You know, they think Pilates will cure my back pain. So it's like, yeah, sure. Pilates does 101 other things as well, but that's not what they, 
they don't care about that. You know, it's like, like you say, it comes, the bandaid comes in four colors. Who cares? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I think that is such a good tip. I always like taking notes. What is the one bleeding neck problem people have that you can solve and focus on that? We, when when you're talking about how a lot of people, they come in and they, they do Pilates because they love it. Also, uh, we talk about black belt eyes. So what this means, like I had a friend, he had a martial arts studio and he'd been doing martial arts since he was a kid. So he was always very impressed if he was training with someone, mostly kickboxing, like Muay Thai. He was always very impressed if someone could kick him in the head because he'd been training for so long. So when he opened up his own school, he always wanted to impress new people when they came into the gym. So he made a note to kick everyone in the head their first day. And he couldn't figure out why people weren't coming back. It's because he kicked them in the head, but he thought they'd, they'd have to know how great he was. Uh, I could just see a far side cartoon of that. Actually, I can't understand why they didn't come back, honey. I why kicked him in the back? head. <laughs> kicked him in the head. He must know how good I am. He his defenses sucked. I destroyed his face. Like right, like clearly he needs my training. Yeah, no, you. He forgot what it was like to be new and walk in yeah. for your first day and feel awkward and unsure and not know anything about anything. Yeah, that's such a good. We call those black belt eyes. Don't don't kick your customers in the head. That's rule one hundred and one with sales and marketing. Don't physically harm your prospects. That's probably not a good. I think that I think there there is a a a, like a very sort of serious and nuanced sort of uh, aspect to that as well. I think that a lot of people, like for instance, post posting on social media or just you know emailing their list or you know, basically creating value content for their audience, that black belt eyes thing is like when you've been doing something a long time, you forget how amazing the absolute basics can be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, you know, again, in the case of Pilates, cause that's, that's where I live most of my life, but you know, People, people, you know, like business owners are like, oh, I don't know what to send to my list or what to post on social media. It's like, well, what about just the most basic, like hamstring stretch that you do on day one of your training? You know, that's going to be amazing for people who haven't stretched in 25 years and have got back pain. It's like, oh my goodness, that's what I feel better after one minute, you know? Right. And, And we feel like we have to, you know, metaphorically kick our clients in the head or, you know, show them some, I guess the Pilates equivalent would be we show them some like, high level complex, you know, movement that is like, all they need is like, you know, day one, lesson one, minute one stuff. Fundamentals, fundamentals. That's a great point. It reminds me when I was first getting into coaching program and this guy was, uh, we were having a mastermind program and he was, it was his turn in the hot seat and the guru's like, what do you, you know, like, what are you trying to do? And he was, uh, he was a couple, like a relationship therapy, relationship. He was a therapist. He worked with couples help save marriages and stuff. And he was really committed that he needed to get this new certification and that that was going to give him the breakthrough in his business. And I remember the time the, the guru was like, well, we're, we were in New Jersey at the time. He's like, well, how many, how many, how many couples would you need to be like, have a fully booked practice? And he was like, oh, you know, like a hundred, 200, like I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have enough time to, for myself at that point. And then it was like, okay, well, where we are in an eight block radius of where we are, how many couples are there that you could probably help? And he was like, well, thousands. And then, so the answer was, well, you don't need more coaching, training, consulting. What you need is go out and find those couples, right? So it's that, it's almost like what you're saying. It's more about, it's more about that. 
um, than everything else. So now, do you feel that anything ever held you back? Like whether it was a mindset or a personal belief or. I think stuff holds me back all the time. I'm sure stuff's holding me back now. I think a lot of time for me, the stuff that holds me back is the stuff I'm not aware of. And so, you know, Alex or Mosey talks about skill set, you know, mindset. Uh, and so for me, like if I'm aware of a gap, I just go and learn the skill or hire someone or whatever. So it's often not that that holds me back. It's the things that I don't know that I don't know. Right. Um, yes. It's the assumptions that I make that I don't realize are assumptions. I think they're just facts. Right. Right. I think that's great. That's so, that's such a good point. Don't know. What do they, what do they say? Um, you know, we all question our beliefs except for the, for the ones we really hold dear, you know, yes. and those yeah. ones we, we don't question. Yeah. 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 I think that's so fantastic. Well, that's, that's even part of what led me to do that research because what a lot of people do is when their business is struggling, they do the things they know to do harder. Yeah. But I think it was even Einstein said like the, the, you know, the, the same level of thinking that got you here won't solve the next set of problems that you have. Type right. thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's a really powerful, powerful, powerful statement. Now, what do you feel about habits? Do you feel that there's specific habits that have served you well, or that have become foundational to you over time in terms of like growing and, and having a healthy, successful business? Uh, well, I, th you know, I mean, I'm, I think I, I, I guess like anybody listening to this has got a growth mindset, right? So I'm not going to have to work hard to convince people that that's an important, important mentality. And by growth mindset, I mean the, the mentality that if I can't do something, it's just because I haven't practiced hard enough yet and I haven't tried it hard enough yet, or I haven't tried the right, the right thing yet. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's within my own power to control my destiny, you know, now if you believe in a higher power or if, you know, there are, there are things outside of people's control, but I think it, 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 it works better to, to act as if mm -hmm. you have control mm -hmm. because then you're more like, you know, what do they say? God helps those who help themselves, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like the one, um, don't expect under what don't expect others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. Right. I think that's another one too. Right. And I, I think both of those, I mean, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, but I think those are really powerful, powerful statements because of just what you said, like, you know, it's, it's the whole, if I had seven hours, like Lincoln said, if I had seven hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend six sharpening the act, you know, opportunity where opportunity success is when opportunity meets preparation. I forget who said that, but that's, that's a huge yeah. part of it. Right. And you prepare and you prepare and you prepare, and then eventually something clicks and, and away you go. As long as those fundamental, like the fundamentals, I learned that, you know, I, uh, my daughter ran in and put something on my desk a minute ago, but um, you're talking about the basics. And I remember I was shocked when I did martial arts, how like at every tournament, there was like a pyramid of participants and the beginners were always the biggest. And so last time someone had told me about like making content and programs and courses for the beginners, it like clicked one day when I was there, I'm like, Oh, like, like the, the big, like there's always churn in every marketplace you're in and out of, you know, people that are playing hockey today, they may take up a new hobby next month. So the beginner group is always the biggest. And even then when people get to a higher level, a lot of times what stops them from getting to the next level is a, is a chink in one of the fundamentals. And I know that when I was teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, everybody wants to learn the fancy, all this fancy stuff. But when you see the guys that are winning at like some of these moves only work on the uninitiated, on the unaware. 
right? You don't see that fancy stuff work at the highest levels. What I wanted to learn and teach was the things that worked against newbies and worked at the world, like world-class competitions. I just want to focus on that stuff because, and it's all fundamentals. Fundamentals are fundamental for a reason. So I think that was, right. that's a really, yeah. Just really and when you look at those, I'm a fan of UFC myself. That's my relaxation <laughs> activity. Uh, and when you see the, the, the men and women who are winning those fights, like it's jabs, hooks, crosses, front kicks, round kicks, yeah. arm triangles, you know, rear naked chokes. It's like, a, there's like a dozen techniques that are yeah. like 90% of all successful fighters, you know, use. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I forget who said this, but virtue is doing the common uncommonly well. That, uh, is it virtue? I think it's virtue, virtue is doing the common uncommonly well. I mean, one of the greatest jujitsu competitors is debatable, but is, um, one of the great Hodger Gracie. And he just, everybody, he would take you down, put you in mouth and, and gi choke you. And I mean, this guy's got like a seven year career and every competitor he's up against. It's like, I know exactly what he's going to try to do to me. He's going to try and get me down. He's going to try and get on mountain. He's going to try and gi choke me like world-class competitors. Like I, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. You know, I trained at Hicks and Gracie school. And I mean, he, he, he didn't, I didn't have this experience with him, but you hear people say like Hickson would start off in the submission, like, here, put me in an arm bar. And he's like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get like, here's my left arm. We're going to start with you, with me, the full submission on, and I'm going to get out of it. And I'm going to get you in an arm bar with your left arm. And he would count down like, okay, let's go. Boom. And he'd be like 10, nine, eight, seven. And the guy knows it's coming and can't stop it. Like that's, that's that. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. You know, that grit, that perseverance, that the nuanced details. The, is it like the Indian, uh, not the, the uh, Inuit, they have like five words for snow because they know the details, the, the, the nuance of it. I love that. Getting dirty is the grit. <laughs> like, you know, like you're so in it, you're in it. I'm getting excited. You can feel it. So now what are you trying to do with your company? Like what are your kind of some of your company's like current current goals and objectives and that? I mean, you've grown, you, like you said, you're, you're on, congratulations. You're on, you know, your way to do six to 7 million this year. Uh, you've helped thousands of people. What are some of your company goals, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, well, really, I mean, our, our place within the Pilates world is we do science-based education. Um, the Pilates world is one of those industries that is ripe for disruption. I you know, like to think that we're in the process of disrupting it. Mm. Uh, you know, really, uh, you know, I've got a master's in clinical exercise physiology. I'm very, um, I'd say pretty obsessed with, you know, reading research on exercise, strength training and flexibility and mm. rehabilitation and all, uh, you know, related topics. And so, you know, we, 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 do, I think we do a good job one of our superpowers as a company is we distill that down, that you know, complex research, that broad research down into simple, actionable, you know, bullets that are like, you know, here's the AD20 of being an effective movement professional. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's our goal is to, is to make a significant change in the Pilates industry such that, you know, being evidence-based, which I believe is the, the, like, yeah. Our duty of care is to give our clients the best care possible. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what could be more caring than, than using what works best? Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm not going to jump on my soapbox there, but I think that is, that's a really important part of our mission. In terms of financial metrics, we really want to, um, you know, and my goal is to hit a, a million dollars a month before the end of this year. Um, 
last last month we had our biggest month ever. We did five hundred eighty-seven thousand. How much? Sorry, five hundred eighty-seven thousand US. Fantastic. Um, but you know, at the moment, our our short-term challenges are that our our sales fluctuate quite a bit, and we just haven't when we're unable to at the moment hit consistent ROI on our Facebook. You know, like we've basically maxed out our Google ads and that's you know, cranking along beautifully, but you know, it's like there's only a certain amount of people in the world typing in, how do I become a Pilates instructor, you know, right. into Google. Whereas right. on Facebook, you can just interrupt people who just have ever been to a Pilates class. Right. <laughs> so there's a, a much more vast audience there. Um, uh, so we're just, we're still in the like losing money to learn about how to get the ads to work properly. Uh, stage there so you know we're we're that's our current challenge is to scale our like the offers working the the funnel is working except the facebook ads we just cannot get them profit you know we can't get them profitable enough at this point mm. so that's our you know that i'm just uh you know I'm, I'm 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 sure most entrepreneurs probably all entrepreneurs are this way but I get like just completely obsessed with whatever it is that I need to be, mm. <laughs> you know, focusing on at the time. Yeah, I know. I know that. Feels. And so, yeah, I'm dreaming of, you know, funnel conversion metrics and, you know, discovery call application grading scores and, um, you know, different hooks on Facebook and stuff at the moment. Yeah. So that's, that's really top of mind for me at the moment. I mean, mm. we're, so we're doing, um, you know, we've been really working on this, for a couple of months now and it's super frustrating. I'm grinding my teeth that it's, you know, taken that long because like an, like all entrepreneurs, you know, you want it done yesterday, yep. you know, if yeah. not sooner. Yeah. Um, and then once you get it, you're going to want the next goal. Yes. Right. <laughs> There's no <laughs> summit to this mountain. I, I learned no. that once upon a time. No. Like, so, um, so we're still, we continue to work on that and we're, it's like, it's amazing in business to me that like there is no, you know, I realized only a, a year or two ago that there is no point. Like you say, there's no summit. There's also no like steady state, you know, like mm. maybe if you own like the local butcher shop in a small town somewhere and it's like handed down from your father or whatever. Sure. You know, there's a steady state for some businesses, I think, but right. even for those businesses, Walmart comes in and disrupts and, you know, yep. things, things change. So I think, no, I stand by what I say that there is no steady state. And so basically as, you know, as we've grown, from, you know, a couple of hundred thousand our first year to a million to three million to five million to six million. It's like you think you're like, okay, great. We've got our message down. We've got our offer down. Great. All we've got to do is scale it. But as soon as you start scaling it, something breaks, you right, know, right. the fulfillment breaks or the yeah. sales process breaks or the, right. you know, whatever, something breaks and you're like, oh crap. So now like the, the processes and systems and offers and, and, you know, financial modeling, whatever that we had that got us to a million is like, it's what's stopping us from getting to 3 million now. Right. And we have to basically go back through and redo it all, you know? Right. And, 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 and that happened at, for us at 1 million happened again at about 3 million. And it's happening again now for us at about like five, 6 million. It's like, we're, we're finding that things that were working smoothly all of a sudden have stopped working smoothly. And it's not because people aren't doing the processes because the processes just aren't adequate for the the volume that we're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, and and in in a lot of cases, I think it's also uh, the people sometimes like need to upgrade. Like I need to upskill. You know, I know I know how to run a four million dollar company standing on my head, right? But I'm running a six million dollar company. I don't know what what I'm doing. Right, 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 right. That's a really important point. So, what are some of the skills and behaviors that you think are important for you and your staff to improve? I th- I think for us, you know, I'd, I'd, I've only got my own experience to go by. I don't know how general this is. Uh, but, you know, I imagine it's the same for a lot of people. Um, you know, we accrued what I, what, you know, the hormones talk about is management debt, right? So you basically, you hire your friends, you hire good people who are like values aligned, who are passionate, who are dedicated, hard workers, all of that. But, you know, maybe they haven't ever run a marketing team in a $5 million a year company, right? Or they haven't ever, you know, hired a team or fired people or whatever. And so you, you know, when there's like, when you're a sub a million, there's just like five of you sitting around the kitchen table, you know, everybody, you know, going hard. Yeah. The good old days. You don't need to have meetings or memos or spreadsheets because you like you're literally sitting next to everybody the whole time, so you know exactly what everyone's doing and what's happening and all of that. But now we're a we're a we're a global company. We've got 2019 members in five countries and eight time zones, and you know, like most of us have never physically met, and so you have to have like meetings and Slack yeah. channels, and because otherwise, just no one knows what the heck anyone else is doing. You know, someone signed up a customer, and made some promise, and the fulfillment team don't know what, don't know, don't know anything yeah. about it, or yeah. you know, um, you know, or the the fulfillment team have changed the way we deliver the program, and the sales team don't know anything about it. Yep. Yeah, so, um, so you have to have meetings and processes and SOPs and and all of that stuff has to start to come in. And it's like most of us in the business, we were there, you know, those of us who were leading the business were, those were the five of us sitting around the kitchen table, you know, back in the day. Right. It's like, we just, so, so we've, we've had to learn how, like how to write SOPs so that, and, and it's like, how do you, when you write an SOP, great, you've written a Google doc how do you put it somewhere that someone's going to actually find it when they need yeah. to do yeah. that? Because <laughs> there's this dog there and that dog there and everybody makes a new sheet. It's not, right. it's not paper where you had a binder and it went in the binder and then it was, the, right. I, I fully get it. I actually just recently moved to a hybrid team because I've been on working remote since 2012. Maybe I've hired my first online VAs and been fully remote for years. And there's, there's just things you can't get remotely, you know? Um, so I'm trying to work hybrid where we got two days a week in person, but I'm not, I'm not doing six, seven, you know, million a year. But uh, one thing that I, I don't know if this helped or not was having three key metrics for every role and department to try to keep objective for your one-on-ones, your weekly meetups, either the department or that. And that, th- that was a big help. That's a huge help. I think a lot of people are missing that if they have remote teams, they don't have, they're having a good day. They love their team. They're having a bad day. They hate their team. If there's lots of money, they love it. If there's not, but if you can figure out and tie, you know, the objectives to what sort of performance or growth in whatever areas of the business or, you know, what needs to improve, whether you're tracking NPS scores or engagement or leads and sales or whatever, you know, um, being able to track those and to try to try to identify three key metrics for each department, ideally person. And trying to huddle around that. This is just a tip for the listeners, you know, in case they're they, they're like, yeah, we're just around the table. That's a really good place, I think, to start. 
because at least you then you define three things. And even if it's a intangible, you try to give a rating score one to 10 and describe what, you know, world-class looks like versus a one. And then, you know, you, the manager and the, and the rep or the, the people in the, in the department would meet and rank on all those three things every week. And if, you know, if there's difference, if the manager says it's a seven and the first, the staff member says, Oh, I thought it was a nine and a half. They would talk about why is there a difference in opinion there, you know, and take mm-hmm. the middle road basically depending on what the outcome is. And then, at least then you have an objective metric and it helps, it helps a little bit better with that. But yeah, that's the business intelligence. So I, th- I showed you my research before that comes into like the yeah. business intelligence stuff, the, the dashboards, the, how are we doing? Right. Like right. you need to be, what is it? Um, instrument rated. This is where you now the business needs to become instrument rated, which is a designation you get as a pilot where at a certain level of craft, you, you aren't flying the plane, looking out the window. You're just looking at the dashboard numbers themselves. And so that's, you know, and the integrity of the data is everything, which is another thing. You need to be able to know how to go under the hood because right. that's that's a huge, as an, can you speak to that? Like tracking, right. I know online, right. like yeah. this tool says 10, that tool says 100, this tool saying nothing, I'm not getting right. anything. Like, yeah, can you speak to that that's, a little bit? That's what I'm dreaming about at the moment. And what you said there about the three KPIs, I 100% endorse that. We We do that. And it has been a big struggle for us, like to find for the non-sales roles, how to measure mm. a lot of so sales and marketing is easy. Like how many leads, how many calls, you know, how many dials, how many closes, cash up front percentage, you know, these things are very easy to measure. Um, so sales and marketing, very easy, but um, for, you know, student success, for our training team, you know, coaches, uh, for the finance team, like, you know, we've, we'd struggled to, you know, scratched our heads for months to figure out, you know, what the right metrics were for these people. And we've really tried to find objective numerical Mm. ratings. So Mm. for our student success team, and so I just want to share these because I know that when we were scratching our heads and trying to figure figure these out, we're like, what the heck do you rate a student success, you know, know, like a customer success rep on or a a coach, you know, like it's so nebulous what they do. Um, So for us, what we've landed on is obviously sales is just, you know, their contracted revenue per month and their closing percentage um, and their upfront cash percentage. Marketing is, you know, leads, booked calls, held calls, and ROI, you know, on ad spend ultimately is what they're incentivized on. Um, For the student success team, it is uh, speed to to, um, answer. Yeah. So it's like all, all student requests are dealt with within two hours is our benchmark. Um, and which is tricky for us because we're 24 seven, we've got students in 26 countries, mm. three person student success team, one's in North America, one's in Australia and one's in the Philippines. So they're kind of around the world, but if we've got a student in Nigeria or somewhere <laughs> asking us a question, you know, Dubai or whatever, where yeah. the time zone is very, very, you know, different, different. It, it's tough for us to to meet that. So they do a great job. Uh, then it's uh, student requests, resol- student issues resolved on first contact. Percentage of student issues resolved on first contact is another one uh, for us, uh, for them. Uh, and then uh, I think their third metric is is cancellations like churn. Um, uh, and then for our training team, uh, they're the ones actually delivering our education programs. Um their metric, they have two key metrics. One is students, 90% of students are on track with what we call our success path. So that's basically 
when students go through our programs, they go through this kind of curated journey where, you know, week one, you do these things, week two, you do these things, et cetera. And so we like fanatically obsess about keeping the students on track with that. Because what we find is the students who, you know, are one week behind by the end of week three, it's like by the end of week 20, they're like 10 weeks behind. 10 weeks behind. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So how do you so, do that? So do you harass them? Do you send we harass them? Their house? We harass do you call them. their mom? Yeah. yeah, all of the above. Um okay. so we we see them live in a tutorial once a week, which is compulsory. Uh and so we basically we do a like a you know, moment of truth in the tutorials, like hey, my name's Raf and I'm not up to date with my coursework. <laughs> you know, so we have to, we do a, like a Alcoholics Anonymous sort of yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, and then we also do a report every week. Um, so, which is, this is where we've struggled. Like when I talked about management debt before, it's like, how do you pull this report and get it to the team on time so the team can then absorb it and reach out to the students and go, okay, yeah. student A is, you know, only 48% finished, you know, where they should be. Right. And so then there's a designated trainer for each particular student and that trainer reaches out to them via DM and, you know, so then we have this whole bunch of, you know, contingency plans. If they don't respond to the DM, here's what we do. If they don't respond to the second DM, here's what we do. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. And so, yeah, so that we, you know, we've got a whole bunch of mechanisms in place around tracking and then reaching out to the students around that. Uh, and then for, then the other, there are other, so that's the metric is 90% of students are on track with their success path, right? So, you know, if it's week two, 90% of students have finished week two at the end of week two sort of thing. Um, and then it's, 90% of students leave a five-star Google review at the end of week 20. It's a 20 week program. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of like challenge kind of implementing that in terms of really just getting the buy-in of the trainers. Um, yeah. Cause there's that accountability. Know, They're like, I just want to show up and, you know, enter tickets and, and, you know, watch, watch YouTube while I work. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. So, you don't need to um, blush. Yeah. It's, it's real. Everybody faces that. I get it. Yeah. hundred percent. So, but that we like, we have, uh, we're not quite at 90% yet, but we have like five X the number of five star Google reviews. We're currently at 350 Fantastic. Google reviews with average rating 4.97 or something like that. Fantastic. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing. And uh, so that is a quantitative review and we've got, we just use Google, uh, we use a Google suite. Um, and so we just get like a Google sites dashboard, you know, like super basic stuff, but you can display really awesome little Google sheets and things in your dashboard. And we've got a couple of people on the team who are wizards with spreadsheets. And that. so we've got all of these metrics just feeding live. So we have, um, you know, Zapier and all, all of that stuff feeding through and then somehow by magic and you know, the ones of the internet, it just pops up on my dashboard and it's go, oh, we're at, you know, whatever percent, you know, this month for this metric. And it just updates in real time. And so the sales and marketing stuff to transition into the dashboard stuff now, like we have that, you know, the, the big numbers, like the con new contracted revenue this month, right? right? That's, that's a, that's an important metric that we have to, yeah, yeah. you know, keep our eye on. Um, you know, that's on a dial that just is a live feed refreshed every 60 seconds or something from our CRM. And so, you know, we see those numbers, I see those numbers updating in real time. Um, I'm going through a program at the moment um, with Cole Gordon, his eight-figure boardroom. Um, his uh, hands company set is closes.io. 
and they do um, remote closing. And they also, so they, they teach people to do remote closing. They also place remote closers in companies and help you ramp them up. So, um, but I'm doing his boardroom and one of the, probably the biggest thing I've got from him so far has been a game changer is he causes his diagnosing and fixing constraints, but we just, we call it our sales and marketing dashboard. Now it's, it's just a Google sheet, right? But it feeds through. So we have this Google sheet. It basically goes from the top of funnel to the bottom of funnel, right? So it's like top of the funnel is like ad spend. You know, it's, it's on a month per month, right? So it's got ad spend, you know, leads to funnel, um, you know, clicks, leads to funnel, uh, you know, cost per lead, uh, uh, booked calls, cost per book call, held calls, you know, show rate, um, you know, close, you know, enrollments, close rate, cash up front, contracted revenue. Like it goes through every stage of the funnel, right? Yeah. And it's got a, a percentage conversion at every stage, right? And that feeds through live now. And I, I've got, there's some incredibly complex series of zaps and spreadsheets and things that makes it all function. And I've got a person, you know, my EA, who's amazing, who basically, I think she spends like 15 hours a week, just making sure it's accurate. Yeah. Which <laughs> but, is huge, huge, huge. Um, but that is so amazing because it allows me to just look at a glance. I can see like, where's the biggest constraint in our business right now? Yeah. Oh, it's just leads to funnel. The whole thing's working. We just need more leads in the top or, or, you know, right at the moment, the thing that we're working on is show rate, you know, so we're getting plenty of booked calls, but, you know, we're struggling to get them to show as much. Like we've got like a 65% show rate. I want it to be like 80%, you know, right? Um, because like that 15 extra percentage points, that's like a hundred grand a month. Yeah. 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 You're looking to optimize things now. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's such a powerful tool too, because now you're taking the emotion out of it and it's just, it's a very, you have all these standardized processes and you're, I mean, it's all about process. I think that's kind of what we got into talking about. We're talking about happiness at the beginning of the call. And, you know, you're essentially saying the happiness is the process. You know, right. the process is the goal. That's people don't get right. that. People are dreaming about when I get, they want to get to the island behind me here. Right. But right. when you get there, like you're standing still. That was the issue I had. I retired early. And then I was like, I, I need purpose and meaning in my life. I need a goal. I need a carrot to chase. I need something to make me want to improve every day. It, it's just, you know, you enjoy it for a week, a month or two, depending on who you are. But at some point you, you want your life to have meaning and significance. There's got to be some right. way to improve. And especially with what you're doing, you know, there's, there's almost nothing that improves your life as much as physical activity. I mean, animals that don't move have smaller brains. That's like a legitimate thing. If the, the less an animal moves, if you have a car and it's sat parked, you're free to use this analogy. If you had a car and it sat parked and it never drove anywhere, never did anything, you wouldn't need an engine. You wouldn't need brake lights. You wouldn't need a brake. You wouldn't need a drivetrain. You wouldn't need a gas tank. You wouldn't need a horn. Like if it's not going anywhere, you don't need. And so our bodies are literally like this. And so many people don't understand how much our education systems have failed us. I'm on a soapbox now, but because the education system was originally from, I want to say the Persian empire. They were worried about their military might, and they wanted a way to train up soldiers and indoctrinate them to be loyal to the to the, the king, so to speak, and, and train up soldiers well and fast. And that, that model of education system was borrowed by corporations when factories emerged to train factory workers, which is why desks are arranged in rows. And there's a, a, a factory bell tells you when your breaks are and you get a report card from the team. That's all what we've been fed. And so many people have lost these fundamentals of like, you know, like just basic health, like you, 
human body breaks down the less you move it. I'm going to stop this here, but you've given so much great tips, so many great pieces of advice. I do want to be respectful of your time. I feel like people wouldn't want to listen to this call more than once to make sure they get all of it. I got some pages of notes, but is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Uh, well, I think I want to just uh, jump on what you said there about exercise. You know, I'm, I'm a massive advocate of exercise. That's my job. That's my business. That's my degree. Um, uh, I think, you know, when you asked about habits, I didn't really answer you, I think, but I think the the habit that I do have, I think that has served me very well is I exercise, you know, every single day and I prioritize it. And, you know, the word prioritize means to, to set the, yeah, it could mean, it's got two meanings. You can mean like to, to order the importance of things, but it can also mean to physically put things before other things, you know, prior means before, you know, so when you prioritize something, you do it first. Right. And so I literally do my exercise first. Like I wake up in the morning and before I work, I, I do exercise and that way nothing can get in the way of my exercise. Like it's just not an option for me to not exercise in a day. I love that. I love that. I love that. And we talked before I'm, I've been that way. I've spent the last two, three years really. I mean, I did CrossFit for a while and I thought I was healthy, but I was sleeping four hours. See, I thought, I thought when I went to bed was when I was sleeping, but then I got one of those heart rate monitors when those first came out on my watch. And I realized, although I was in bed for five, six hours a day, I was getting four hours of sleep a night and the mortality rate, if you're sleeping less than five hours skyrockets. So I spent three, four years now reclaiming my sleep, reclaiming everything. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm up at 4am, 4.30 and until about 7am, 7.30, that is my time to meditate, to caffeinate, to lift heavy, to do a circuit, to, to, if I got nothing better to do, I'll just do Tai Chi. You know, I take, I take active rest days, just do some Tai Chi, but it's, you got to move like the brain, like when you walk, your, your brain is all like, if you're walking, you're balancing, you're swinging, you're, you're anticipating when the foot's going to hit the ground, all these things. And to have a simple conversation like you and I are having now, like you want to show up to everything in your life over-prepared as best yeah. as you could. Right. And so I just, I, I, I really value that you said that. Cause I think that's, people don't get it. Like you literally are, you upgrade your hardware. When you read a book, you upgrade your software, but you like, if I was trying to download today's software on a computer from the 1980s, it wouldn't work. And by exercising, you're literally upgrading the software or the hardware of your brain and body. And, I, and actually as another, as a final note, um, I was in, when I was in Japan training at Hicks and Gracie school there, uh, I was, I was teaching English at the time. And one of my, cli- my clients, she was a neuroscientist and she was doing a study to determine if improving motor skills improved other soft skills that that part of the brain controlled. So I'm making this up because I'm not a neuroscientist, but for example, if left-hand motor control controlled the same area of my brain for language processing by improving my coordination, does it improve my ability to process language. And her research was inconclusive at the time they were in the study, but she said it really is looking like you can improve your brain's performance in these other seemingly unrelated fields simply by improving your, and maybe you can answer that. I mean, I guess that is kind of your, your field. Would you, would you agree with that? Disagree? I don't know the answer of her research, but I just always stuck with me. Yeah. I don't know specifically about improving 
particular aspects of cognitive performance, but I do know that there's a very coherent body of research uh, showing consistently that exercise, like lifelong exercise, regular exercise, uh, uh, staves off cognitive decline Uh uh, and slows the progress of Alzheimer's. Yeah, uh, and and improves you know many aspects of mental health like depressed symptoms of depression, anxiety, uh, psychosis, um, you know bi- bipolar disorder and things. So like exercise absolutely does affect your cognitions. Mm. Um, you know because the the those the depression and anxiety that affects your thoughts, right? You you think depressive or anxious thoughts, so mm. it's like it affects the way you think absolutely. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. I love it, Raphael. Hey, hey, um, I, I do. I'm sorry. I, I, I do have one thing that I want to, I want, I want to say, sure. which is, um, the, the probably the biggest, and this ties into like what has been the biggest probably thing that's held me back that I didn't realize that was holding me back because I didn't realize I was doing it, is shiny object syndrome, mm. uh, and. And, you know, this kind of goes in with the kind of analysis by paralysis that I mentioned, you know, earlier on and stuff. But I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I see this in, in early stage entrepreneurs as well, is uh, is we get overwhelmed by there are so many things like, oh, should I do Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or TikTok or Google or, you know, email marketing or webinars or challenge funnels or, 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 or. And, and you think like, oh, everything looks green and delicious when you're looking at across the fence, you know, and for when right. you get up close, you're like, oh crap, this is really hard. And then you look across and the other thing looks like, oh, that looks, that looks sexy, you know, over there. Yeah. I'll go yeah, yeah, yeah. try that thing. And so it's very easy to look at someone, you know, who's, you know, looks successful and go, oh, they're doing challenge funnels and I'm not doing challenge funnels. So I should do challenge funnels. You know, all right. I'm doing is boring, stodgy old Google ads, you know? Right, 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 <laughs> um, right, right. Um, but I think what I'm learning, you know, now, and I feel like I'm probably learning this for the 10th time, but this time I feel like it's sticking. Is, <laughs> is, <laughs> this time I'm really learning it. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like when I say I'm learning it for the 10th time, I mean, like I've, I've had the opportunity to learn it nine times in the past, but it, I haven't learned it yet. <laughs> so right. I feel like right. I, I, I'm I just teasing you. It's okay. I'm busting your balls. Okay. Yeah. So is to, and this really started with this Cole Gordon's diagnosing and fixing constraint spreadsheet, right? Which just, it just puts the numbers in front of you and you look and you go, oh, duh, our show rates the the, the blockage here in this funnel, right? So it's like, it, if we spend one second doing anything apart from fixing the show rate, we're wasting our time, right? right. We have right. to focus on this biggest constraint until it's no longer the biggest constraint. And then something else will be the biggest constraint and we focus on that. And so that has really helped me just focus on you know, just relentlessly on one thing. And it's really helped me say no to things. And we have, uh, in the last few months, we've stopped doing a lot of things. Like we've stopped, we basically did an audit of all about products and we got rid of everything that wasn't wildly profitable, mm. you know? And so we've stopped like 80% of the products that we were running, you know? Mm. Um, and you know, that pissed off like 10 customers, yep. but they got over it. You know, we gave them some free stuff and they were fine, you know? And I, th- yeah, so I think like, and that even kind of uh, blends into or goes along with for me, 
you know, that sort of entrepreneurial ADHD and just like wanting everything done yesterday or if not the day before, you know, mm. and, and wanting to do all of the things right now immediately, you know, at the same time. Right. Uh, and so, you know, like we've got this, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'm focusing on, like I said before, is this Facebook conversions, right? And so I think the biggest thing that's hindering our Facebook conversions has been up until now the show rate for Facebook people. So I'm just been working obsessively on this show rate and we've been tracking and, but then it becomes like, okay, well, we have to, in order to fix the show, rate, we've got to figure out, okay, why aren't these Facebook people showing because the Google people are showing. And so we have to figure out how to grade these people and filter out the ones we don't want. And, you know, send back the right mm -hmm. information to pixel about the ones we do want. So, so it's like the more you dig into it, like it's the more, the more layers there are to it. Right. And and so there, you know, we've got this sort of sequence of things that we need to do that we need to try, right? So it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this, or so it could be some some combination of these things, right? Right. And so six months ago, I would have been like, great, let's just do all of those things. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Whereas but now, right. Whereas now I'm like, okay, let's do the first thing. Like, let's figure out which of these things is most likely to make the biggest difference with the least negative impact on the business. Yep. right? Least cost in, in admin or risk or whatever. All right. Let's do that. And let's wait a week and watch the numbers. Yeah. Right. And then we'll do the next thing, wait a week, watch the numbers and the next thing, wait a week, watch it. And it's like, it's almost, it's like, in some ways it's like watching paint dry for me because it's like, okay. So we, we, you know, what we did was we put our, our application in front of our booking page, for example, right. Just for the Facebook leads. And it's like, okay, what do I do the rest of the week? You know, it's yeah. like, well, you just watch the freaking numbers, dude. That's what you do. Like, that's really hard. As the boat gets bigger, the time it takes to turn is slower. So you need to spend twice as much time measuring before you decide to make a cut. Yeah. I, right. yeah, 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 yeah. This is great. This is such great content. Again, I honestly encourage the listeners to listen to a couple of times. I'm sure there's gems that you missed that you want to pick up. I've got pages of notes. Uh, Raphael, if people want to learn more, should they just go check out breathe-education.com, B-R-E-A-T-H-E hyphen education.com. Is there anything else, anywhere else they should go or? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I've got about 14,000 followers currently. I post, if you're interested in anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, if you're interested in uh, entrepreneurship, I know if you're listening to this, you are interested in entrepreneurship. I mainly post, you know, stuff for early stage entrepreneurs, people like, you know, wanting to scale up to like 10,000 a month, sort of yep. that level, people are just, yep. just getting started. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's me. If, you, if you're interested in Instagram, that's where I hang out a lot of the time. I've also got a podcast. Find, how do they find you on Instagram? What's your handle? Uh, it's the underscore Raphael Bender. Got it. Um, that's and yeah, I've also got a podcast, Pilates Elephants podcast, which is only for, I mean, you know, everyone's welcome, but like you're going to find it, find it pretty freaking boring if you're not into Pilates. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's go through this. So you can find his podcast at the breathe-education.com. And then his, his, uh, what was it? The, the, what did you say? The real Raphael Bender. So his uh, name is, oh, sorry. It's just the, uh, T-H-E underscore then my name, Raphael Bender, R-A-P-H-A-E-L-B-E-N-D-E-R. Right. So it's R-A-P-H-A-E-L-B-E-N. D-E-R. Go find him on Instagram. Give him a follow. Go check out his website. It looks great. You can try to analyze all his stuff, reverse engineer everything, uh, but no shiny objects. So don't be thinking you're going to go make six, seven million if you just start teaching Pilates. It's not, 
If, if that's was that's the shiny object you're chasing after this call, you you, you need to go back and listen to this call five more times. Uh, Raphael, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you got your own community and your own people to follow, that you could be taken care of. So thank you for coming and helping take care of me and mine. Thank you very much for having me on, Daryl. It's a pleasure.